What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. You're dead meat! Go ahead and laugh, you guys. If I ever find a little bastard of business, they're dead meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast, your horror safe haven. I'm Chelsea. James got COVID, so it's just me this week. James is totally fine. He's out of quarantine. He had a rough 10 days locked in our room, but he's doing much better now. But yeah, that means we couldn't do a podcast last week. I'm so sorry about that. However, even though the podcast was late this week, our next episode is actually out this Wednesday. So yeah, less than a week away. We're going to be doing an episode on the back rooms, something that a lot of people have asked us to cover and something we've heard of, kind of familiar with, but we don't really know a ton about. So that's going to be kind of a new fun thing for us. This week, I'm reading a bunch of SCP entries. And if you don't know what SCP is, that's totally fine. I'll do my best to explain it. SCP stands for Secure, Contain, Protect. And SCP's website is a collection of stories that are all user-submitted. So this is a fan-made thing. There's no one person who makes all these stories. They're all stories about creatures or entities, supernatural beings. It's, it's honestly endless. It gets beyond that. The SCP Foundation is a place that researches these things and keeps them hidden away from the public. So all these articles I'm going to read are basically entries in SCP's database, though there's other things on there too. There's like short stories, novellas, although I think the most famous format on their website is these kind of uh, like data file wiki entries about various um, items that they have in containment. I'm actually going to be reading a short story from their website first before any of the actual articles because I, I think it's really well written and I think it's a nice way to kind of ease into the world of the SCP Foundation. The story intros a lot of vocabulary, which you're going to hear recurring throughout all of these stories. And I'll outline some here that I've taken from SCP's site so that you're not totally lost. We've got anomaly slash anomalous, and that's anything that doesn't follow the rules of reality as we know them. Object classes, you're going to hear that a lot. Each anomaly contained by the Foundation has an assigned object class, which tells you how difficult something is to contain. The three most common classes are safe, meaning containment is simple, Euclid, meaning containment is more complex, and Keter, meaning containment is very difficult to maintain. There's Mobile Task Forces, or MTF, elite units for responding to and containing anomalies. Depending on the anomaly, these range from paramilitary teams to groups of specialized researchers, and Group of Interest, groups other than the Foundation that deal with or handle the anomalous. SCP entries often start with a list of categories like this, so that's what you're going to hear me reading off at the start of each entry. I can't get into all of the weird vocabulary that pops up in these because we'd be here all day, but go check out SCP for yourself. It's really, really cool, and I'm going to link to each story I read in the description. Also, SCP is licensed under the Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 license stating that is the only requirement for using work uploaded to SCP, which I think is really cool and I think has fostered a really amazing creative community over there. According to the rules of Creative Commons, this very podcast episode is also now licensed under the Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 license. You can use or remix this episode however you please. Go nuts. 
Before we get to the stories, I'm going to do the ads first so we don't have them harshing our mellow halfway through the episode. And hey, speaking of mellow, our first sponsor this week is Dadgrass. Dadgrass is legal, organic, smokable hemp that relaxes your body and mellows your mind. Dadgrass was kind of created to feel a bit more like the weed our parents used to smoke. That is why it's called Dadgrass. Because sometimes weed gets you too high, and that's scary, and no fun for anyone. And to clarify, Dadgrass's organic pre-rolled joints are very low in THC and high in CBD, so you get all the nice effects of CBD while keeping a clear head. And maybe the best thing, all Dadgrass products are federally legal for ages 21 and over, and it ships right to your door anywhere in the U.S. So if you want to chill out and check out Dadgrass, right now Dadgrass is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when you go to dadgrass.com slash deadmeat. Go to dadgrass.com slash deadmeat for 20% off your first order. One more time, that's dadgrass.com slash deadmeat. Now our next sponsor before we get to these scary stories, maybe about something even scarier than the things I'm going to read. We're going to be talking a lot about your dad's balls in this ad because our sponsor this week is Manscaped. And you know what's coming up? Father's Day. And you know what makes a great Father's Day gift? Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, your dad will find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all his new cool stuff. Does your dad use the same trimmer for his body and face? Kinda gross, let's throw that out the window and give him the upgrade he deserves. I know I mentioned their boxer briefs, Manscaped just launched their brand new Boxers 2.0. They are packed with revolutionary features including the Jewel Pouch, trademark. It says here they're designed to cradle his boys in their own special space. I told you this was gonna get weird. Listen everyone, go do your dad and his balls a favor. Check out Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with the code DEADMEAT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code DEADMEAT for 20% off and free shipping. Okay, everyone, let's get into these stories. They're going to play one after the other with no interruptions. There's one I had to read a few phrases in Latin in, and I know it's got to be wrong. You don't need to tell me about it. It's fine. Okay, please enjoy, and we will see you guys on Wednesday. We need to talk about 55. Can I smoke? This time, the receptionist narrows her eyes at Marion. No, she says. You... No, you can't smoke anywhere on Site 200. Just because it's an administration building doesn't mean we don't have lungs. Or labor law. Marion notices the exasperation on the young woman's face. I've asked you that before, haven't I? Twice in the last quarter hour, the receptionist says. You must really need a smoke. She's genuinely puzzled at the repeated question, and she's doing a bad job of concealing her puzzlement. You think this is like memento, don't you? Marion offers charitably. You think I have no long-term memory, and if I stay in one place for too long, I forget why I'm there. The receptionist is only just old enough to remember that film. I guess? Marion smiles sympathetically and shakes her head. 
It's nothing so simple. Minutes pass. She toys obsessively with her lighter. She is turning 50 this year and slowly graying, well on her way out of petite towards little old lady. In her bag, her phone beeps because it's time for a pill, but she tells it to remind her later. There is a slight tremble in her fingers, but that's not age-based infirmity, that's just ordinary nerves. She's nervous because she's here to meet an O5, and O5s are scary. O5s never want to see you for a small thing. It's the end of the world or nothing. Finally, 40 minutes late, the door to the inner office opens. Four or five high-ranked foundationers spill out, carrying laptops or briefcases. As a group, they head straight past reception and out to cars which are waiting. Marion recognizes a few of the faces. The Site-19 site director, the head recruiter for Western Europe, none of them glance in her direction. Once they're gone, 058's assistant pokes his head around the door. He's 20-something, improbably youthful, like a teenager stuffed into one of his dad's business shirts. His haircut is barely regulation. In one hand, he holds a tablet computer showing his boss's day planner. It's packed. The man evidently does not sleep. Marion, you can come through now. The office door closes behind them with an unusually heavy mechanical clunk, as if the whole thing is part of a machine built into the office walls. While Marion takes the indicated chair and sets her bag down, the assistant turns and does some confusing additional things to the door, causing it to make several further strange noises. O5s have non-trivial privacy and security requirements. The office is spacious, but somehow contrives to be dark despite two big corners of window and broad daylight outside. The walls are all bookshelves and dark wood paneling, perfectly stylish, but a style from the 90s, a little worn and not yet old enough to be fashionable again. As for the fellow behind the desk, well, an O5 never looks like you imagine. Marion takes a deep breath. So what's the topic? All I got was the meeting invitation, no agenda or subject. I mean, an O5 says jump, you jump, but... Looking to her right, she notices that the assistant, without saying anything or making any undue noise, has set his tablet down on a table, produced a gun and aimed it at her head. Marion stops talking. She sits still in her chair for a little while, absorbing the change of pace, letting her heart rate rise to a hummingbird's and then start to flatten again. Okay, she hazards. She licks her lips and grips the armrests, otherwise staying perfectly still, waiting for another prompt. The assistant's face is totally neutral now, like this is just how meetings go. Maybe it is for people up here. Who are you? 058 asks her. Marion blinks. What? Oh, God. Let me rephrase, 058 says. Marion Wheeler, 49, with loving husband and two boys in tow. Likes camping, hiking, and ornithology. Boring mother with perfect airtight background and financials as far back as we can examine. And you've got full foundation credentials which we've never issued, including access to a list of installations and rooms which... Some of these locations don't exist or were torn down decades ago. At least one hasn't been built yet, yet you've got the front door key to it. That's before we get to your SCP access control lists, which I can only term as egregious. 
So you're a spy and your objectives are misaligned with ours and Clay wanted to cut 11-3 loose on you, but I was able to bring him around. I talked him into a face-to-face. I thought there was a slim chance that if we locked you in a bomb-proof room and asked politely, you'd have the good sense to spare yourself the rest. Marion has long since stopped listening. You dullard, she says now she can finally speak. I'm your chief of antimimetics. We don't have an antimimetics division, Clay says. Yes, you do. We do. 058 says we have a memetics division a telecontainment division, fire services, Ops A, Ops B, personnel, D personnel, and two dozen others. We don't have an anti-memetics division. Do we have an irony division? Marion asks. She hesitates, hopefully. No? All right, well, try this. Why do you think the anti-memetics division would show up in the listing? This is just a cover story, Clay says to 058, not taking his eyes off Marion. It's a good one, but she's had it worked out in advance. Clay, lose the piece, says the O5. Grudgingly, Clay does so. Marion relaxes fractionally. There are SCPs with dangerous mimetic properties, she says. There are contagious concepts which require containment just like any physical threat. They get inside your head and ride your mind to reach other minds, right? Right, O5-8 says. He could name a score of SCPs fitting this description without even thinking. There are SCPs with anti-memetic properties, Marion goes on. There are ideas which cannot be spread. There are entities and phenomena which harvest and consume information, particularly information about themselves. You take a Polaroid photo of one, it'll never develop. You write a description down with a pen on paper and hand it to someone, but what you've written turns out to be hieroglyphics, and nobody can understand them, not even you. You can look directly at one and it won't even be invisible, but you'll still perceive nothing there. Dreams you can't hold on to, and secrets you can never share, and lies and living conspiracies. It's a conceptual subculture of ideas consuming other ideas and, sometimes, segments of reality. Sometimes people which makes them a threat. That's all there is to it, really. Anti-memes are dangerous, and we don't understand them. Therefore, they are part of the problem. Hence my division. We can do the sideways thinking that's needed to combat something which can literally eat your combat training. 058 stares back at her for a long moment. Clay fidgets, disliking and distrusting the story, but the 05 seems more open to the concept. Name one, he says. Name an anti-memetic SCP. SCP-55, Marion says promptly. There is no SCP-55, Clay retorts. Again, yes, there is, Marion says. There isn't, Clay asserts. SCP numbers aren't assigned sequentially. There are gaps. That number hasn't been assigned. It's not superstition. We have enough to be concerned about without arbitrary numerological mysticism. We have SCP-666 and SCP-13 but there's no SCP-1, and there's no SCP-55. Clay, 058 says, you should look at this. He turns his monitor so Clay can see the file that he has just retrieved. Clay bends over and reads it from top to bottom. Stunned, he scrolls back and reads it all a second time. But the file's dated from 2008, 058 says. It's got all the right flags and signatures. It's keyed and coded. It's real. You've seen this before? Clay asks him. Never in my life, 058 says. As far as I can remember, anyway. 
On the other hand, if the content is accurate, both of us have probably seen it dozens of times. Clay glares at Marion. This isn't possible. Marion nearly spits. For Christ's sake, Clay, how long have you been working here? But if this SCP is this powerful, he begins. Yes? Who wrote the file? The O5 finishes. And for that matter, how was the interview conducted? And who is Bartholomew Hughes? And most importantly, how do you, Mrs. Wheeler, retain knowledge of any of this? Bart Hughes wrote the file. He's dead, Marion says. What happened to him? You don't want to know. There is a very long pause while both O58 and his assistant react to this. In fact, they pass through a long, discreet sequence of reactions. Indignation at the seeming rudeness. Confusion at Wheeler's incaution in front of sinister superiors. Surprise at the magnitude of the claim, pure disbelief, comprehension, and finally, horror. What, O5A asks carefully, would happen if we did know? It would happen to you as well, Marion says levelly. As for the rest of your questions, we manage that pharmaceutically. You know we have Class A amnestics for people who very badly need to forget things. Of course you do. Who could forget about Class A amnestics? While in antimimetics, we have a different pill for people who need to remember things that would otherwise be impossible to remember. Nestics, Class W, X, Y, and Z. Same Greek root as the word mnemonic. The M is silent. In her bag, her phone beeps again. With a nod of approval from the O5, Marion reaches into her bag and turns her phone off, acknowledging the prompt this time instead of postponing it. She pulls a blister pack from another pocket and pops a pill out. It's hexagonal and green. She holds it up and is satisfied to see a flicker of recognition on O58's face. He's beginning to put it back together. Marion says, These are Class W nestics, the weakest, suitable for continual use. Two pills per day. Go down to the site pharmacy and ask. The pharmacist will claim they don't stock any such thing. They're misremembering. Tell them to double check. O58 sighs. And now, I think, I get it. I see why we're having this conversation at all. Yes, Marion says, popping a second pill out and handing it over to him. It's because you missed a dose. You're supposed to be on these, the same as me and everybody on my staff. It's the only way we can work. You forgot to take a pill, and then you forgot all the information that the pills were helping you to retain. You forgot why you were taking them, who gave them to you, where to get more... You forgot about me and my entire department, and now I have to bring you up to speed. And if I take this, O58 says, I'll remember this whole conversation and we won't have to have it again? Hopefully not, Marion says. Clay pipes up. Uh, should I be taking those? Sorry, kiddo, O58 says. Need to know. Maybe when you're an O5 yourself. He swallows the pill. Marion swallows hers, too. So what is SCP-55? O58 asks. SCP-55 is nothing, Marion says, now relaxing entirely. SCP-55 is, as described in the file, a powerful information autosuppressor. As far as experimentation has uncovered, it can only be defined in negative terms. We can only record what it isn't. We know it isn't safe or Euclid. We know it isn't round or square or green or silver. We know it isn't stupid, and we know it isn't alone. But what we do know is that it's weak. 
It's weak because it's the only antimimetic agent in our possession which has a physical entry in the files. We have paper records of the thing. We have containment procedures. It's not safe, which means it's dangerous, but it's contained. 058 blinks. You have procedures? Where? Marion points at her head. Then how many other anti-memes are there? How much more dangerous do they get? Ten that I know of, Marion says. Statistically, probably at least five more that I don't know of. This does not count the anti-memetic entities freely roaming the halls, not under containment. There are at least two in this room with us right now. Don't look. I said don't look. It's pointless. 058 does an impressive job of controlling himself, keeping his attention focused on Marion. Clay doesn't fare so well, and quickly sweeps the whole room, even checking behind his back, making an ass of himself, essentially. He finds nothing. He looks baffled. There is an invisible monster which follows me around and likes to eat my memories, Marion explains patiently. SCP-4987. Don't look it up, it's not there. I've learned to manage with it. It's like a demanding pet. I produce tasty memories on purpose so it doesn't eat something important, like my passwords or how to make coffee. And what's the other one? Clay asks. With another nod from 058, Marion goes to her bag again. This time she pulls out a gun and shoots Clay twice in the heart. More aghast than in pain, Clay collapses sharply against the bookcase behind him. Pulling his head around to face Marion, he manages... How did you... No. Marion stands, aims more carefully, and shoots him a third time, this time in the head. 058 again does an impressive job of not reacting. That's Clay's gun, he deadpans. You stole it from him. It's tricky to steal a firearm this heavy from someone without them noticing, Marion explains, unloading it and carefully setting it down. But stealing a firearm and then stealing their memory of the theft is a little easier. Like I said, a pet. Some pets are dumb enough that they can be trained. Yes, 058 says evenly. That much I'd guessed. But why? Because you were supposed to be taking Class W Nestics, Marion says. You can't skip a dose of Class W Nestic. I've tried. You can postpone a dose, but you can't forget unless someone actively prevents you from taking it. There's only one person who could get close enough to you to do that, and that's your assistant. And remember when I asked him how long he'd been working here? He didn't answer, 058 says. I thought you were being rhetorical. He doesn't work here, Marion says. He's an anti-meme. Since when do you have an assistant? You don't have an assistant, Brett. Look at this office. It's got one desk. You've got a receptionist outside. She's the one who screens your calls and schedules your meetings. Where does Clay even sit? Where does he fit? Don't blame yourself. You're human and these things are redaction incarnate. You need to think like a space alien to get around them. 058 asks a question which, in any other workplace, would be absurd. Is he dead? Maybe, Marion says. I can put his corpse in our research queue and we'll see what we can see when we open him up. There's a duality here, though. They're like parallel universes sharing the same space. It's conceptual versus concrete, figurative versus physical. It's very unusual for things to cross over. I don't know what Clay was, but he had a human body, which instantly makes him weird, even by our standards. As ever, the search for stalemate continues. I will let you know if we get any closer. 
Any side effects of these pills? O5A asks. Nausea and dramatically increased risk of pancreatic cancer, Marion says. And very bad dreams. SCP-871 Object Class, Keter Special Containment Procedures Each recurrence of SCP-871 is to be maintained within a separate, locked concrete cell on a metal platter permanently affixed to the surface of an immovable wooden table. Each cell housing a recurrence of SCP-871 is to be monitored on a 24-hour basis via closed-circuit camera, with individual feeds checked every 15 minutes. Upon creation of an instance of SCP-871, three Class D personnel are to be escorted by armed guards to its cell, where they are to be sealed with the instance and induced to consume it. No more than one hour may be spent performing this task. In cases where additional motivation is needed, the termination of one of the Class D personnel assigned to an instance of SCP-871 is authorized. Upon completion of the consumption of an instance, no participants may exit the cell until both they and the room have been thoroughly searched to confirm that no portions remain. The platter, table, and room are then to be cleaned in preparation for the next instance. Class D personnel who prove cooperative in the consumption of an instance of SCP-871 may volunteer to participate in additional consumptions. Personnel exhibiting exceptional usefulness may have their monthly termination postponed. Such personnel are under no circumstances to be allowed to interact with any other SCP object. No desserts of any kind are to be served on site at any facility housing a recurrence of SCP-871. Description SCP-871 is a collection of 237 cakes. Instances of SCP-871 vary widely in appearance and size, covering the entire range of foods described by humans as cake. The smallest observed instance of SCP-871 was a miniature cupcake with a mass of 15 grams. The largest yet observed was a 22-kilogram Baumkuchen measuring 2 meters in length. When any instance of SCP-871 is consumed by a human or a collection of humans, it is replaced approximately 24 hours afterward with a similar cake. This cake will appear on a flat surface in the vicinity of the location where the previous instance was eaten. If any of these cakes is substantially damaged through any means other than being eaten by a human, including being eaten by a non-human animal, it will be replaced instantaneously. Instances recreated in this manner maintain the schedule of the original instance. The mechanism by which instances of SCP-871 are replaced is currently unknown. Individual recurrences of SCP-871 have been observed to mutate over time, varying in minor characteristics between each instance, with larger changes occurring in roughly 5% of replacements. No deleterious effects have been observed to result from the consumption of SCP-871, even in cases where several instances have been consumed, excepting those expectable from eating large amounts of cake. SCP-871's danger originates in the consequences of an instance not being eaten. Any instance of SCP-871 which is not consumed will cause a new cake to be created in its vicinity after 24 hours. While this is similar to its normal replacement behavior, 
the original instance will continue to exhibit the same properties, replicating if damaged and continuing to replace itself every 24 hours. This behavior has been observed in all cases where more than 10% of the mass of an instance remained unconsumed, as there is no known mechanism for halting SCP-871's replication, any uncontained instances could replicate exponentially, quickly becoming unmanageable. No maintainable plans for the containment of more than 20,000 instances of SCP-871 have yet been devised. It is estimated that an uncontrolled outbreak originating with a single instance would render the Earth uninhabitable within 80 days. Item number SCP-1733 Object Class Safe Special Containment Procedures The DVR containing SCP-1733 is to be kept in a secure video archive at site, redacted. Playback of SCP-1733 is strictly forbidden unless required for research. Personnel must contact Dr. Geller for permission to study SCP-1733. Description SCP-1733 is a digital recording of the 2010-2011 NBA season opening game played at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts on October 26, 2010 between the Boston Celtics and Miami Heat. Agents monitoring social networking sites were alerted to SCP-1733 when Boston native, first name redacted, last name redacted, complained in a Facebook thread on October 27th about a technical foul in the third quarter involving players Ray Allen and Chris Bosch that never occurred in the original broadcast. When confronted, name redacted uploaded the relevant segment much to the confusion of his derogators. Foundation agents embedded in Facebook's moderator team deleted the thread and procured the IP addresses of all individuals present at the chat at this time to locate and administer Class A amnestics. The Motorola brand DVR containing SCP-1733 was recovered for study. Study of the footage has since revealed the nature of the recording's anomalous properties. Although initially diverging from the original broadcast only negligibly, such as quarter-point totals and occurrences of fouls, SCP-1733 has begun to markedly digress from the content of its earlier playbacks. Recorded entities have been observed to retain memory of previous playings, and as such have developed a burgeoning awareness of their existence. It is hypothesized that playbacks impart an unquantifiable measure of cognizance to the entities inhabiting SCP-1733, with consecutive playings greatly expanding recall of previous events. This effect is cumulative and extends to all persons in the arena. Quality of awareness has progressed from reported feelings of intense deja vu by commentator personalities Mike and Tommy to a near-eidetic memory of preceding playbacks. However, to note, no entities inside of SCP-1733 have ever addressed the viewer directly or shown awareness that they reside in a digital recording. The individuals in the recording are virtually indistinguishable from their real-life counterparts in talent, behavior, and mannerisms on court. Fans in the crowd also appear to be real human beings in all respects, and Foundation inquiries into the current status of these persons has found nothing of note. For all intents and purposes, recorded entities appear to be the actual individuals, but somehow abiding in a digital medium. TD Garden records have put the number of people in attendance on October 26, 2010 at number redacted. 
It was initially thought the purpose of SCP-1733 was to depict an infinite number of game outcomes. Since players were able to modify offensive and defensive strategies during every playback, by playback 34, players and coaches became so keenly adapted to the opposing team's playbook that the score remained 0 to 0 until 334 in the first quarter. As quality of recall was still weak in early stage iterations, memory of preceding playbacks likely manifested as a vague intuition felt by players, fans, and team personnel alike, interfering with their ability to grasp the full scope of their situation. By playback 45, however, comprehension of their predicament had reached such a point that players declined to play altogether, and assembled with the rest of those in attendance to formulate possible escape plans. It is the conclusion of Foundation researchers that the inhabitants of SCP-1733 are imprisoned in the setting of the recording, as they have been unable to exit by any means. Doors leading out of the arena have not yet yielded to an estimated force in excess of amount redacted Newtons. The assembly has also been unable to exit from locker rooms, player facilities, and skyboxes. Waiting for patrons arriving in at scripted points prior to the start of the first quarter has also been unsuccessful. Individuals leave by where patrons entered and are then unable to navigate and escape from the adjacent corridors that girdle the main arena. Escape attempts have since grown more desperate, and have included failed attempts at constructing makeshift explosives, all-out rioting, the fracturing of the assembly into three opposing factions, and by playback, number redacted, the ritualistic murder and disembowelment of players in the hopes of appeasing whatever it is that confines them. See Timeline Document 001 for details. However, upon the beginning of a new playback, all persons are returned to their pregame status unharmed. Researchers have been unable to duplicate the effects of SCP-1733 with other recordings made by the DVR, confirming the device is not the source of SCP-1733's aberrant properties. Due to the distress visited upon inhabitants of SCP-1733, testing has been suspended indefinitely. Partial Timeline Document 001 Playback Number 2 Notable Developments First recorded deviation from recorded broadcast. TD Garden crowd boos the Miami Heat during entrance. Miami Heat forward LeBron James observed to have scowled and shaken his head dismissively at the crowd. Playback 15. Score remains 0-0 for eight consecutive possessions. Fans appear notably subdued when displayed on the facility's HD scoreboard screen. Celtics power forward Glenn Davis is able to execute a crucial block late in the fourth quarter on LeBron James he could not complete during the original broadcast, securing the Celtics' lead. Commentators note Glenn Davis's dedication to performing well on both sides of the court in spite of the, quote, Big Three's blistering ball movement on offensive plays, unquote. A nascent awareness of previously played games has begun to form. Playback 26 First Miami Heat victory, 112-85. Crowd becomes aggressive, shouting obscenities and hurling foodstuffs at the Celtics. Color commentator Tom Heinsohn understood the frustration, criticizing the Celtics coaching staff for becoming so complacent after having, quote, cracked the code of the Miami Heat offense, unquote. As this was the first game together for the Miami Big Three, it is unlikely any coaching personnel would have become so adjusted to an unfamiliar offense in a single game. Playback 27 Commentators Mike and Tommy note a feeling of deja vu during the Heat's grandiose entrance. 
crowd remained subdued during key Celtics plays. Celtics emerged the victors, prompting Tom Heinsohn to remark, quote, The Celtics have come a long way winning back the hearts of their fans, unquote. When asked to elaborate by Mike Gorman, Heinsohn could only respond that he had felt the team had an embarrassment to atone for, but could not specify further. Playback 44. Teams emerge disoriented and confused. Game is suspended. Majority of time is spent by medical professionals assessing the mental state of players, who remain convinced they had dreamt playing the season opener frequently the previous night. When informed of the situation by team staff, commentators Mike and Tommy affirm the same feeling. Crowd is also afflicted. Recording ends with courtside correspondents interviewing members of the crowd on the nature of their dreams. Playback 45. Players refuse to play. Cameramen, facility personnel, players, commentators, and crowd members gather in the court to appraise the situation. All persons are convinced they are reliving the same game repeatedly. Doors are tested but cannot be budged. Recording closes as crowd begins to fashion makeshift weapons to pry open doors. Last instance of camera being manipulated by the camera crew. All following playbacks are seen through a single static shot of a broadcast view camera. Playback 51. No attempts to exit the building have succeeded. All exits in the arena and adjacent areas remain sealed. A physical altercation in balcony section 318 between an inebriated group of college-aged males and one older male leaves the older male concussed on the floor and unconscious. As broadcast camera is unable to pick up audible voices on opposite side of the arena, presumably the dispute occurred over the group of males not assisting with escape plans. First recorded violent incident. Playback 52. The man knocked unconscious in previous playback is returned to previous state unharmed upon the beginning of current recording. The man ambushes and bludgeons one of his attackers to death at the 34 minute 12 second mark. Playback 55. Cognitization has progressed to such a point that the crowd is now able to remember the events of that week, as well as friends and family members outside the facility. Attempts to contact outside for help are met with failure. Playback 65. Crowd is unable to exit the facility. Congregation has since dissolved into the following groups and factions. Players, coaches, and all involved team personnel have presumably barricaded themselves in off-screen player facilities. The infirm and parents accompanied by their children have retreated to the northeast corner of the balcony rise and have elected to wait out playbacks as they occur, marking their territory with a Celtics championship flag draped over section 320. Number redacted individuals henceforth referred to as the Faith Keepers have proselytized to multiple gatherings that they believe being confined to the TD Garden is punishment for rampant consumerism of the post-industrial world, and have burned offerings of mobile phones, car keys, handbags, and wallets in center court for the past four playbacks. The group comprises Boston churchgoers and redacted. A notable portion of adults numbering approximately number-redacted individuals, however, remain diligent in formulating escape plans. Playback 73. The Faith Keepers grow in number after a previous playback incident, where three males were severely injured by an improvised explosive fastened to an exit door. No damage to the door is visible. Playback 95. Hedonistic displays of sex and violence have sufficiently curbed the efforts of proselytizers. Makeshift curtains are hung around the site of an orgy at Loge 8 at the urging of Section 320 members. Playback 112. 
Conditions have deteriorated considerably. Number redacted, individuals leapt from balcony section in opening 10 minutes of playback 112. Playback, number redacted. Faith keepers storm player facilities to retrieve Paul Pierce and LeBron James. The players are ritually sacrificed and their bodies are subsequently displayed on the arena's jumbotron. The murder of players seems to have no effect on the recording. Playback, number redacted. Proselytizers have begun to call for the sacrifice of children. Adults have formed a wall between Group 320 and the Faith Keepers. Playback, number redacted. First recorded deviation in arena light to a deep red color. Data expunged. Item number SCP-294. Object Class Euclid. Special Containment Procedures. There are no standard special containment procedures on file for item SCP-294. However, only personnel of security clearance level 2 or higher are allowed to interact with it. See document SCP-294-A. SCP-294 is currently being stored in the second floor personnel break room and is monitored by two guards of security clearance level 3 at all times. Description Item SCP-294 appears to be a standard coffee vending machine, the only noticeable difference being an entry touchpad with buttons corresponding to an English QWERTY keyboard. Upon depositing 50 cents US currency into the coin slot, the user is prompted to enter the name of any liquid using the touchpad. Upon doing so, a standard 12-ounce paper drinking cup is placed and the liquid indicated is poured. 97 initial test runs were performed, including requests for water, coffee, beer, and soda, non-consumable liquids such as sulfuric acid, wiper fluid, and motor oil, as well as substances that do not usually exist in liquid state, such as nitrogen, iron, and glass, and each one returned a success. Test runs with solid materials such as diamond have failed, however, as it appears that SCP-294 can only deliver substances that can exist in liquid state. It is of note that after approximately 50 uses, the machine would not respond to further requests. After a period of approximately 90 minutes, the machine seemed to have restocked itself. It is also interesting to note that many caustic liquids that would have eaten through a normal paper cup seem to have no effect on the cups dispensed by the machine. Testing is ongoing. As suggested, SCP-294 was moved to the second floor personnel break room as a money-saving venture. Following Incident 29401, guards were stationed at the item and a security clearance became necessary to interact with it. Document SCP-294-A, regarding Incident 29401. On August 21, 2005, Agent Joseph, last name redacted, attempted to use item SCP-294 to obtain coffee during his allotted break time at 9.30 a.m. At the request of Agent, name redacted, quote, to see what it would do, unquote, Redacted requested, quote, a cup of joe, unquote, from the item. Moments after confirming the selection, Agent Joseph, last name redacted, began to sweat profusely and complained of dizziness before collapsing. 
After moving the unconscious agent to the infirmary, the medical team recovered the contents of the cup dispensed by item SCP-294, a combination of blood, tissue, and other bodily fluids. Testing revealed the DNA sequence of the biological material dispensed by SCP-294 matched that of Agent Last Name Redacted. Agent Last Name Redacted made a complete recovery after four weeks of rest and intravenous hydration. X-rays and CAT scans show no further signs of injury, and Last Name Redacted was released. Both agents were reprimanded. Additional security measures for SCP-294 have been recommended. Addendum SCP-294-F After reviewing documentation on SCP-294, Redacted suggested testing SCP-294's ability to retrieve specific liquids from a distance. Addendum SCP-294-H With the overseeing of O5 data expunged, Quote, a cup of SCP-075's secretion, unquote, was used as input. The product was proven to be the requested liquid and the cup was able to successfully contain the material. However, the report for incident 07507 was acknowledged two hours after the test. See addendum SCP-075-M. A containment procedure breach had occurred exactly the same time this test was taking place, waking SCP-075 to its active stage. It was able to secrete an amount of basic solution equal to the capacity of a coffee cup before emergency containment procedure was applied and it was rendered passive. The liquid was not found in the post-incident investigation. Addendum SCP-294-I Researcher punched in request for, quote, cup of gold, unquote. The machine dispensed a cup of molten gold. Researcher requested similar precious materials with the same result. Addendum SCP-294-J. Researcher punched in, from a safe range, request for, quote, cup of anti-water, unquote. The machine hummed briefly, then displayed, quote, out of range, unquote, on entry pad. It is theorized that SCP-294 has a limited range of collection and cannot reach into alternate universes slash dimensions. Addendum SCP-294-K Researcher punched in request for diamond. SCP-294 briefly hummed, then displayed out of range on entry pad. SCP-294 gives this result for all solid substances. As diamond is a solid crystalline form of carbon, it appears the machine will not dispense liquid carbon, as this does not result in a diamond. When cup of carbon was subsequently punched in, the machine dispensed a cup of liquid carbon. SCP-294 was immune to the damaging effects of the dispensed liquid. Addendum SCP-294-M Testing for range of SCP-294's capacity for retrieval has been initiated. A unique compound has been formulated. Composed of undisclosed ratios of redacted brand bleach, redacted brand cola, MET-RX powder, and garam masala. The fluid was created and placed in a sealed container 25 meters away from SCP-294. When requested, the fluid was dispensed. An equal amount of the mixture was no longer present in its original container. 
Addendum SCP-294-01 Researcher, name redacted, under observation of Level 4 personnel, keyed in a request of, quote, the best drink I've ever had, unquote. SCP-294 dispensed a fluid similar in appearance to cola. The researcher identified it as a mixed drink he recalls having at a bar during his bachelor party and was convinced it was, quote, the best drink, unquote. Redacted did not know what ingredients were in the drink besides rum and cola. Further tests are scheduled to ascertain how SCP-294 gathers information. Addendum SCP-2940-01-A Under the same conditions, agent, name redacted, quote, the best drink I've ever had, unquote, SCP-294 delivered a dark fluid topped with white foam which was later identified as a Vienna lager. The cup was printed with a color picture of five men and two women drinking beer on the beach. Redacted was one of them. In his briefing, Agent Redacted confirmed that his favorite drink ever was a Vienna lager he consumed at the beach with his friends. It has now been confirmed that SCP-294 has the ability to directly gather information from someone's mind in order to comply with the given conditions. Addendum SCP-294-Q-01 Subject keyed, quote, the perfect drink, unquote. The machine dispensed a cup containing an odorless lavender liquid. After drinking the liquid, subject appeared to go into shock. Subject later committed suicide, leaving a note which read, quote, I'm sorry, but at this point everything's just one big letdown, unquote. Requesting such a drink again is highly discouraged. None of the components of the drink have yet been identified. Addendum SCP-294-T-01 Subject keyed in, quote, something Cassie will like, unquote. The device was heard to hum for about three seconds before dispensing an empty cup. Printed on the side of the cup was an image of a traditional soda fountain glass filled with something brown and topped with whipped cream. Upon introduction to SCP-85, it was identified by her as a chocolate banana milkshake and judged delicious. Addendum SCP-294-W Researcher keyed in request for, quote, a cup of music, unquote. SCP-294 produced a clear, sparkling fluid that tasted vaguely alcoholic. Following ingestion, subject reported feeling, and not hearing, a continuous rhythm, and demonstrated the ability to move and even dance with a certain fluidity that he had not previously shown. Testing on other abstract concepts is continuing. Addendum SCP-294-AB During a mass security breach, agent name redacted requested, quote, a cup of pertinent medical knowledge while taking shelter inside the second floor break room. Of the four agents in the room, agent redacted was the only one who was not injured. SCP-294 poured a cup of clear green liquid. Following the ingestion of this substance, Agent Redacted began mending the other agent's wounds in a manner consistent with Foundation medical training. Agent Redacted no longer has the medical training that the liquid provided, and other attempts to recreate the effect have failed. The agent has speculated that this event was an emergency measure taken by the object to ensure self-preservation. 
Addendum SCP-294-AC Doctor, name redacted, requested, quote, my life story, unquote, from SCP-294. SCP-294 made humming noises and shook violently for approximately three minutes before providing a highly viscous, opaque black liquid. Upon consumption, Dr. Name Redacted reported that he remembered everything that had ever happened to him. Following this test, Dr. Name Redacted entered his office and returned 48 hours later with a 538-page autobiography. Addendum SCP-294-AD Researcher produced request consisting solely of the phrase, quote, surprise me, unquote. Device produced an opaque cup containing normal water, later determined to have been heated to approximately 200 degrees Celsius. Upon receiving vibration from transport, the contents of the cup turned into steam, violently spraying boiling water in a two-meter radius. Addendum SCP-294-AF Researcher produced request for, quote, blood of Christ, unquote. SCP-294 vibrated and produced the message, Hic est enum calix sanguinis mei, then produced a paper drinking cup containing approximately 0.12 liters of red grape wine. Addendum SCP-294-AG Researcher produced requests for, quote, cup of smilodon blood, unquote, quote, cup of passenger pigeon blood, unquote, and, quote, cup of Thomas Jefferson's blood, unquote, and received three out-of-range errors. Addendum SCP-294-AH A D-class personnel with IQ of 99 and low curiosity scores was given written instructions about what to request. The D-class personnel produced a request for blood of Canis lupus, and received a cup of liquid subsequently identified as wolf blood. The D-class personnel next produced a request for saliva of Equus ferris cabalis, and received a cup of liquid subsequently identified as horse saliva. The D-class personnel next produced a request for urine of Phascolarctos cinereus, and received a cup of liquid subsequently identified as koala urine. The D-Class personnel next produced a request for cerebrospinal fluid of Faberimus Pattersoni and received a cup of liquid currently undergoing analysis. It is to be noted that Faberimus Pattersoni went extinct during the late Miocene epoch, approximately 8 million years ago. Addendum SCP-294-AI Dr. King produced request for, quote, a cup of room temperature superconductor, unquote, and received a cup of apple juice with seeds floating in it. Addendum SCP-294-AJ Dr. Menchu produced request for, quote, cup of D-151839's leukemia, unquote, and received a cup of fluid. The fluid was microscopically examined and found to contain leukemic blast cells, which were a genetic match to D-151839. A second request for cup of D-151839's leukemia resulted in an out-of-range error. D-151839 was subsequently found to be free of leukemia. However, within 15 days, the leukemia had recurred. Other SCP-294 experiments are currently awaiting approval. Item number 5140. Level 4. Secret. Containment class, Cater. 
Disruption class, Ekai. Risk class, critical. Special containment procedures. Due to the exorbitant cost and difficulty in safely extracting SCP-5140 instances from Mount Everest, MTF Delta-14 Winter Wonderland will periodically ascend Everest to bury any SCP-5140 instances in the snow. Campaigns are underway to tighten restrictions for climbing permits for Mount Everest on both the Nepalese and Tibetan sides. Description SCP-5140 refers to a number of frozen corpses scattered across Mount Everest, located in the Himalayas of Tibet. The number of SCP-5140 instances is unclear, but accepted to be over 100 and below 200 at the time of writing. SCP-5140 instances are ectoentropic. When physically exposed to heat of any form, including body heat, they will absorb it without raising their temperature, which rests at approximately 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit. This process usually renders physical contact with SCP-5140 instances fatal. If an individual dies as a result of contact with SCP-5140 instances, their corpse will become another SCP-5140 instance. Addendum 5140.1 Mission Record, November 12, 2015 Priority Traffic to Base Camp from MTFD-14 C. Smith-9 Subject Annual 5140 Expedition Status Update Approaching Summit Encountered 34 bodies across Chinese route Buried all. Provisions steady. Likely to reach summit tomorrow. 2 C. Smith 9 from base camp. Acknowledged. Continue. 2 base camp from C. Smith 9. Encountering minor anomaly on instances. Exceptionally low temperatures result in muscle contraction post-mortem. Bodies curled up and frozen. Hard to pry open before burial. Might have to bury like that. 2 C. Smith 9 from base camp. Acknowledged. Permission granted. Bury as convenient. 2 base camp from C. Smith 9. Approaching summit. Abnormally high numbers of instances. Encountered 19 since yesterday. Old instances getting unburied. 2 C. Smith 9 from base camp. Likely, strong winds blowing off snow. Bury deeper if possible. To base camp from C. Smith 9. Approached Hillary Step this morning. Will ascend to summit in hour or two. Fourteen more bodies since last contact. Team unnerved. To C. Smith 9 from base camp. Understandable. Almost there now. To base camp from C. Smith 9. Discovered lone body on summit. Attempted to bury. Shovel hit something. Is stuck. Can't pull it out. Turned around. Body was gone. Fell off the summit? Don't know. Team is rattled. Please advise. To C. Smith 9 from base camp. Acknowledged. Sending out survey teams. Attempting to see if something was seen falling from summit. Use spare shovel if more bodies encountered. Orders are to descend from Chinese route using already cleared path. Godspeed. 
To base camp from C. Smith 9. Descended step. Patrick touched one. Me and Arnold buried him. To C. Smith 9 from base camp. Acknowledged. To base camp from C. Smith 9. Emergency. Attempted to descend Chinese route. Discovered camp remains torn apart. Three instances curled up in tent. Instances moving. Hurried descent. To C. Smith 9 from base camp. Acknowledged. Get down safely. We'll move forward from there. Personnel ready to receive you at Camp 5. Stay safe. To base camp from C. Smith 9. Mass of them blocking the path. One reached out from ground. Grabbed Arnold. He's one of them. I ran back up. Can't go down. Can't go back up. Arnold was carrying provisions. Only have one can of oxygen left. Help. To C. Smith 9 from base camp. Attempt to use flare gun to clear path. Stay at safe distance. Team is already en route to extract you. Stay calm. Minimize breathing. To base camp from C. Smith 9. They're moving. Don't come to the summit. It's not safe. The ground isn't safe. Don't let climbers on Everest. The mountain is danger. 2C Smith 9 from base camp. Team is arriving in less than two hours. Hold steady. A rescue detachment of MTF Delta 14 arrived at Charlie Smith's GPS tracker an hour and 36 minutes later. They cited no unburied SCP-5140 instances on their approach. Smith's body was discovered, lacking the signs typical of an SCP-5140 instance. Autopsy indicates he died from exposure and suffocation due to inadequate oxygen intake. Further investigation indicated his oxygen intake valve was damaged during the ascent to the summit. Bodies of Arnold Hillary and Patrick Edmund were discovered higher up Everest. Hillary died from exposure, while Patrick was found to be an SCP-5140 instance. It is currently believed that Smith's inadequate oxygen led to him hallucinating SCP-5140 instances blocking their path and destroying their campsite. Hillary's foot was found wedged into a rockfall, likely the source of his immobility. This incident has been taken into account and supply manifests for future expeditions adjusting accordingly. Addendum 5140.2 File Update April 25th, 2024 Event Report Location, Mount Everest, Nepal Status, Concluded Time, 1.49 p.m. Local Time April 25th, 2024 Disruption Class, Kanek Event Summary Increased global temperatures have resulted in significant thawing of ice sheets and snowdrifts on Everest. Such thawing caused a large avalanche at 11.49 local time, which moved a large amount of snow off the summit. Lower depth of snow allowed scanning planes to identify significant amount of SCP-5140 instances below the snow. Further excavation revealed SCP-5140 instances form a significant portion of Everest itself. Currently, it is estimated 45% of Mount Everest's mass is formed by corpses.